0: Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya to knock us for cocktails.
1: Into fantasy baseball today, presented by Line and Kugels. More on their great beverages later on in the podcast. July 16th, Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. And despite having no baseball on Thursday, more on that in just a second, we have a loaded show for you. Scott's top 25 prospects are live on the site. We had a trade in real baseball and in Scott's Dynasty League, actually, between me and Scott.
0: Yeah, a uh, trade between the two of us. Very after- nice. Yeah, a lot of uh a lot of wrangling. A lot of wrangling. We we came close to a, I thought we came pretty close to a blockbuster earlier in the season involving names like Wander Franco, Raphael Devers, and Jack Flaherty in a twenty four team dynasty league. Yeah. I'm kinda glad we didn't make that <laughs> trade. I was the one pushing harder for it, I feel like. But uh but anyway, yeah, we, we, we pulled one off finally.
1: Yeah, we finally did and you know, I'm not jumping to any conclusions here on Wander Franco. The guy is, what, 21 years old? But I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should have taken that trade. We have Week 16 and Week 17 sleepers, the breakout-o-meter for the second half, some fantasy justice, and more. But first, Scott, I have a question that is both fantasy philosophy and life philosophy for you. Are you ready? I'm intrigued. All what right. is it? So, is it wrong... That when I receive an awful trade offer in fantasy, my first instinct is to offer my worst player for their best player.
0: I think it's wrong. <laughs> I think it's wrong. I've I've uh, I've written about this on a number of occasions, and I might do it this year too. Just kind of like a trade etiquette column uh, leading up to the trade deadline. And I, I mean, really, there's a practical reason for it is like, I want people to want to trade with me. I want offers from people. You know, if if, if they're bad offers sometimes, okay, fine, that, that comes with the territory. But I don't I don't want to shame them into not making me an offer next time. And I, I know the rationale is, well, I'm just shaming them for making a bad offer. But it's so subjective. <laughs> it's so subjective, especially, especially if you're talking like a dynasty context, which is where I'm most aggressively trading. Like, everybody's team is in a different spot. There's such a wide variety of players that matter that you know, great differences of opinion can form, and so it's it's really, it's really hard to say with great certainty that this is a terrible trade that nobody would ever accept. Uh, No, I can I can understand maybe if it's the same person over and over and over and over again, and they never make anything remotely close to fair. you know, fortunately, I don't play with a lot of people like that, so I don't have to deal with it very often. I can understand the frustration of of just wanting to to send a message that like you got to step this up, buddy, or, or there's <laughs> there's no reason, there's no re- you're just wasting both of our time at this point. Uh, but I, I think I think generally it's a bad move. I think it I think it'll make that person think twice about making an offer with you, just because nobody likes to feel shame. You know, nobody likes nobody likes that feeling. Um. So you got you got to resist it. I, I you know sometimes I get the urge too. Like man, this is such a bad offer. What is he <laughs> thinking? I want to fire off this nasty response or make a really dumb counteroffer to drive home the point. And in my younger days, I probably did it a few times. But I, I like to I, I like to think I'm more mature now and want to do that. That's, I, I, I advise against it.
1: That's basically what I was taking from this whole conversation, Scott. Is that. You take the high road. You are, and I will say this with certainty, much more mature than I am at this (laughs) stage, at at our respective stages in our lives. But it's especially frustrating when it's what I consider a league of very competitive people who I think know what they're doing. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't be making assumptions, but it's pretty frustrating, man. So, look, there are questions about player evaluation in Dynasty 100%. I get it. But if you know what you're doing, like, come on, man. Let's step it up a little bit. Well, let's well, kind of move offer? past this. Well, it's funny you bring that up. Let's just say, Scott, let's just say. I don't know if you're playing one, but let's just say you did. You're playing a head-to-head 2014 Dynasty <laughs> League, right? Someone offers uh-huh. you a $5 Rymel Tapia for your $16 Pablo Lopez. Mm. What would your response to that be?
0: It's not a good offer.
1: <laughs> it's not a not good, good offer, right? I'm not,
0: I'm not sure what what uh what would compel you to make that trade. It might you might feel insulted, like especially you being a new guy to the league. I don't know if if uh the offer came from one of the other two new guys. Oh, this but, was completely hypothetical, Scott. It didn't it's not what actually oh, okay. happened. Well, yeah, hypothetically, <laughs> if that happened. It's not good. I would just when when it's when it's an offer that is so bad, there's no place to go with it. Mm-hmm. I just try to very quickly and very quietly reject it. And I feel like, I feel like that sends the message on its own. Like, and, and you know, maybe, maybe you didn't see it go through for several hours. So it's not that quick, but the, the quicker you can reject it, the better.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I did. I, I took the high road this time, but well, I guess not technically I didn't because I'm making a big fuss about it anyway. But yes, look, if you're playing a, a points league that deep, Scott, you know, this, like, Pitchers are the most valuable commodity, especially Pablo Lopez. He's twenty-five years old. He's on a very affordable salary cap value right now at sixteen dollars. Come on, man! Like, if you want Pablo Lopez, you gotta you gotta come with something better than five dollar. Pay out savvy. the
0: nose. You'd pay out the nose for a. Would you keep him for sixteen or would you keep him for twenty-one? I think you'd keep him for twenty-one. Twenty-one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's a still worth it. That's a that's a good keeper at a position where everybody has a need.
1: Let us know. Let us know what you think. Email us in. Leave a comment on this YouTube video. How do you handle bad trades? I think it's a pretty fun discussion. Anyway, we were supposed to have a baseball game on Thursday night, but there is a COVID outbreak among the Yankees, which postponed the game, obviously. And as of now, the information that we have is that pitchers Nestor Cortez, Wandy Peralta, and Jonathan Loizaga are confirmed positive for COVID, and... There are three more cases that are currently pending, which include Gio Urshela, Kyle Higashioka, and Aaron Judge. So the Judge situation is especially worrisome because he was just at the All-Star game where he was exposed to his other American League compadres, including a bunch of Boston Red Sox. So there's a whole bunch of testing and contact tracing going on as of now. And we don't know if they're going to play on Friday. They've already announced, you know, it's out of our hands. It's up to Major League Baseball. So I guess we'll see what happens when we wake up on Friday morning, ultimately, uh, and see what the situation is. But Scott, is it as easy as if they play Friday, you're going to keep your Yankees and Red Sox in your lineup? And if the game is postponed again, you're just going to take all of them out?
0: Yeah. I, I Certainly if you're playing the short week, if you're not combining this weekend with next week for an extra-long, supersized scoring period, then I think that would be the way to go. Yeah.
1: What about if you are playing that 10-day week from this Friday, I guess, through next Sunday? Would you... And tomorrow's game... uh, Well, Friday's game is postponed. Would you take your Yankees and Red Sox out of your lineup? Because, I mean, there's a lot of star-studded players we're talking
0: about here. Right. Probably not. I mean, it's been a while since we've had a a situation like this. I I don't know, April? April maybe was the last time. But it it definitely felt like the turnaround on this was much quicker than last year. And, you know, maybe we'll see this spring up a few more times with the more breakthrough cases because of the Delta variant. Fortunately, it doesn't seem like, you know, quite the same severity that it was before. But, uh, you know, we're probably going to have to deal with this at times again the rest of the season but i i don't think i don't think it demands you know i i don't think it demands you benching players for long stretches of time um, unless of course they're the one who tests positive and and goes on the il and and uh and is going to miss some time because of that but i i think i think teams missing a whole week of action i like i don't think we're going to see that again
1: yeah i hope not knock on wood because I did see, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, uh, currently is in timeout. So it was either coming out of their All-Star break, going into their All-Star break. They just kind of put the league on pause because there's COVID concern in Korea. So hopefully something like that doesn't happen here Uh, with Major League Baseball. Obviously, you can never rule it out, but we'll see what happens with the Yankees and Red Sox. I actually have tickets for Friday's game, so... I don't even know what's going to happen. Do I even have plans for my Friday night? I don't know, Scott. Anyway, other news from this game. Jaron Duran was slated to start in center field and was batting 7th in the Red Sox lineup, so I thought that was notable. And some other Yankees news. Zach Britton was activated, which we alluded to basically all week. And outfielder Trey Amberge was called up, which, honestly, I didn't really know much about before this happened, but he's 26 years old, was batting 312 with seven home runs and 15 doubles at Triple A, Scott Anything to know, see here, Trey Ambergy? I, he,
0: I, I wouldn't say he was high on my radar, no. Uh, obviously, if we see him producing right away, then we'll, that'll kind of determine it for us. But otherwise, I'd leave it for very deep leaks.
1: What also came of this was utility man Hoi Jun Park was promoted to the taxi squad for the Yankees, so I guess there is a chance that he is promoted to the actual Yankee roster, and he's a 25-year-old utility man. He was batting 303 with nine homers and nine steals in the minors and OPS over 950. This one, I actually am a little bit more interested in, Scott. However, he's not on the Yankees roster yet. There's a chance that he could be, but that power-speed combination, it looks pretty intriguing thus far at AAA.
0: Yeah, it's looked pretty intriguing, but again, I I feel like when we're, we're we're talking about a much 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 lower level of prospect.
1: Oh yeah, than
0: sure. than what we're used to talking about, and you know even even the prospects we're used to talking about, there's some restraint when it comes to to making a move for them off the waiver wire. So we're talking about very deep leagues, maybe a scout team situation. And, you know, even playing time has to be confirmed before anything else.
1: Yeah, I should have mentioned that at the top. Both Trey Ambergy and Hoijun Park, these, these are strictly super deep leagues, AL only, but... Obviously, names to remember. Let's see what happens with this Yankee situation. Before we get to some news and notes, we want to welcome a new podcast to the CBS Sports family just in time for the Tokyo Olympics. Attacking third will cover the U.S. women's national team as they aim to capture gold as well as the NWSL at least three times per week, making it the most comprehensive podcast in the space. Join hosts Sandra Herrera and Lisa Roman as they bring you match previews, recaps, exclusive player interviews, and more. Download and follow Attacking Third wherever you listen to this podcast and CBS Sports and Westinghouse are teaming up to give away a 55-inch TV, portable power station, and an air purifier over the next... Couple of weeks here. There's only a few weeks left. Go to cbssports.com/slash/home run h o m e r u n to enter. We put the link in the episode description as well. Contest ends July 31st. That's cbssports.com/slash/home run. No purchase necessary. 18 or older. United States only. News and notes. We had a few promising rehab outings on Thursday. First up was Chris Sale. Went three innings, four hits. Zero runs, zero walks, five strikeouts. Fastball averaged 93 to 94 miles per hour and apparently touched 97 miles per hour at some point in this rehab start. At Chris Sale's best, he was averaging around 94, 95. So I kind of feel like for his first rehab start here, Scott, 93, 94, that's not so bad for Chris Sale.
0: I mean, look, it's basically what he was throwing when we last saw him. Now, when we last saw him, there were concerns about his velocity Uh, But as I pointed out at the time, he had, earlier in his career, still been a dominant pitcher even at that velocity. He had kind of seen a a velocity spike in more recent years. So, yeah, I mean, first start, first rehab start back from Tommy John surgery. You expect it to be down a little bit anyway. I was very encouraged by the rehab start. Doesn't mean he can't suffer a setback. Of course, he's not back until he's back. But this was a good, a good uh, first measurable step.
1: More on Chris Sale a little bit later on as well. Carlos Carrasco was at high A with the Brooklyn Cyclones, actually. I've got to get out to a Cyclones game. Two innings pitched, one hit, zero walks, two strikeouts. He threw 17 of 27 pitches for strikes, and four of those were swinging strikes. 82% rostered is Carrasco. Chris Sale, by the way, 85% rostered. so They might be floating around out there in some 10-team leagues. Check to see if they are available. Uh, John Means made a rehab start at AAA. This one... Not as good as the others. Three-plus innings, five hits, two runs, three walks. Did have four strikeouts. And earlier this season, there were videos circulating on the interwebs that had John Means' hand sticking to his glove. (sighs) Obviously a little bit curious now, given everything that we know. Yeah.
0: I was just looking into his spin rates, actually, year to year. Like they were, they went up last year compared to 2019, but they went up a little from 2019 to 2020. They went up a lot from 2018 to 2019. Okay. Which I thought was interesting.
1: Which it's entirely feasible that he started using sticky substances back in 2019.
0: Yeah, it's feasible. Certainly. I don't know. Really have no idea how to, uh, Obviously, I'm hoping for the best for John Means. I'm I'm well invested in him, and he looked very good before landing on the IL, and I hope he gets back to that. And even if he loses some spin, there's a pretty decent chance he gets back to that, as we've been seeing from with, with other pitchers who've lost spin. It's a big question mark surrounding every pitcher. Certainly, pitchers entering this environment for the first time, as John Means will be.
1: You know what's going to happen with John Means, by the way, Scott? He's got a 2.28 ERA. Underlying numbers, not nearly as good, He's got an XFIP that's just barely over four. There was going to be natural regression anyway, and I think he's going to come back, and he he might struggle a little bit, and people are going to blame it on sticky substances, but he was probably always going to regress from a 2.28 ERA anyway, right? So I think that we should kind of keep that in mind and, and in perspective when it comes to John Means. We had a trade involving your brave, Scott. How about that? The Cubs sent Jock Peterson to the Atlanta Braves in exchange for first base prospect Bryce Ball. Bryce Ball, by the way, he hit 329 with 17 home runs back in 2019 in the minors, and he was batting just 207 this year as a 23-year-old at high A. So I don't know if there's much there with Bryce Ball. What do you think,
0: Scott? I, I, I liked Bryce Ball coming into the year, and uh, I know a lot of I know a lot of prospect towns did too. I mean, he never showed up high in the rankings because natural first baseman. You know, that's that just comes with the territory. But uh, looked like a pretty good bat. You no, know, who knows? Who knows? Obviously, hasn't had a good year this year. He's not alone in that regard among prospects. There are a lot of play uh, a lot of prospects that were well liked that are just had a miserable showing here in 2021. And you can understand why there wasn't a minor league season last year. Plenty of other prospects are doing well. Plenty of other prospects have emerged. We'll talk about some of them in a minute, I have a feeling. But yeah, Bryce Ball, you know, I still think is kind of a deeper dynasty asset and uh, might have a clearer path with the Cubs, especially if we're assuming the Braves re-signed Freddie Freeman, as I am. Uh, As for Jack Peterson, you know, we know who he is. The Braves had a desperate need for an outfielder. They had a need for an outfielder even before Ronald Acuna got hurt. Uh, So I don't think... Peterson's playing time's going to suffer at all. There's a good chance he bats leadoff for the Braves. And that's obviously a good spot. His, his Splits against left-handers this year have been fine. He has yet to homer against him, but 271 batting average. Just having, you know, kind of a down year overall. Got off to a miserable start. It's been a little better lately. But, you know, we, could, we, we know Jack Peterson could get hot and have like a 12-homer month, and that wouldn't surprise anybody. I, I don't think whether that happens for the Cubs or the Braves, it's going to make a big difference for his fantasy value.
1: I do wonder if he gets the opportunity to lead off against right-handed pitching for the Atlanta Braves. Which, if he does that, it can't hurt, obviously, because yeah, it can't hurt. There'll be a lot of opportunities to score runs with Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albie's, and and Austin Riley batting behind him. So, if it does happen, I think it's probably only going to happen against right-handed pitching. Again, that's Jock Peterson. He's 38% rostered. You can add him if you need an outfielder in a five-outfielder league. I think anything shallower than that, three outfielders, probably not. Uh, On the Cubs side of things, I think Ian Happ probably works his way into more playing time again, and it's been a brutal year for him, so we'll see if he can get back on track uh, because he was very good last year, Ian Happ, but hasn't been the case this season for him. And if the Cubs have started
0: selling off pieces... You know, I I don't know that they'd go as far as Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez. We kind of talked about that yesterday, but this, you know, this kind of establishes them as sellers. Uh, I have the thought, you know, I I've been right on the right on the cusp of dropping Patrick Wisdom in some of my roto leagues, just because playing time's been inconsistent. You know, you're, you're, there's always a shortage of roster space. Of course, You might play a ton in the second half if there are fewer bats to compete with. So keep that in mind with Patrick Wisdom.
1: We had some Tampa Bay Rays news. Tyler Glass now has resumed playing light catch. He's been optimistic all along about the partial tear in his UCL. There is currently no timetable for his return. And from one partially torn UCL to another, Nick Anderson will throw live batting practice on Friday. And he's been dealing with this since before the season even started. So we didn't mention him on yesterday's podcast, Scott. When we were going through each team's bullpen, but we probably should have. Nick Anderson, 11% rostered. If he's starting to throw live batting practice, maybe we see him at some time in August. It wouldn't surprise me if he works his way into saves with Tampa Bay.
0: No, I mean, he was part of that mix last year. In fact, he was, I'm not sure if he led the team in saves, but certainly by the postseason, he was considered basically the closer. And the Rays like to mix it up (laughs) as much as any team. So yeah, Nick Anderson... We can't sell short that possibility.
1: Sonny Gray will return from the aisle and start Sunday for the Reds. Madison Bumgarner will return from the aisle and start Friday for the Diamondbacks. He is 55% rostered. And Scott, I need you to rank these four starting pitchers that are all rostered between 40 and 60% of CBS leagues. David Price, Madison Bumgarner, Tyler McGill, and Patrick Sandoval. How would you rank those four?
0: Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> You know, I, I was, I, I had been approaching this David Price to the rotation situation with um, some excitement. But the thing is, like, he wasn't pitching well out of the bullpen. Um, he's pretty old at this point and was showing signs of decline in, in his last years with the Red Sox. So I, I don't know. I don't know that he really does deserve that level of excitement. Obviously, a great supporting cast with the Dodgers, but uh, I, th- Think I think I actually like Tyler McGill the most of this group, and you know maybe when Carlos Carrasco returns from injury, um, don't they have somebody else who's returning from injury too?
1: Cindergard at some point maybe.
0: Yeah, that yeah we don't really hear much about Cindergaard's progress, so I think he's still a ways away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean th- there may be room for McGill for a while, so I I think Tyler McGill is actually the one I'm most excited about. And I forgot all the others you mentioned. Mad
1: Bum, Price, and Patrick Sandoval.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think Madison Bumgarner's a big question mark. So I might actually go Sandoval second, then Price, then Bumgarner.
1: All right. The Mets plan to activate J.D. Davis on Friday. He was batting 390 with two home runs over just 14 games, so a very small sample size, but was hitting a ton of line drives. J.D. Davis was 42% rostered. Now, how would you rank this group, Scott? J.D. Davis, Luis Arias, and Starling Castro, who was kind of hot going into the break.
0: I think it just did. J.D. Davis is definitely my favorite of the three. Okay. He got really hot at the end of his rehab assignment. I mean, we're just talking about maybe three or four games, but it was looking good. So, uh, yeah, J.D. Davis, Um, certainly in Roto Leagues, where you have that corner infield spot to fill, might be worth a look.
1: Hector Santiago's 10-game suspension was upheld on Thursday. He becomes the first player this this season to be suspended for sticky substances. Michael Lorenzen will return to the Reds on Friday, and their bullpen could definitely use another arm. So a name to watch there, Michael Lorenzen. Griffin Canning was placed on the IL at AAA with a lower back strain. And lastly, can somebody please teach Jason Dominguez how to slide? Because I retweeted a video. The guy hit a triple at, I think he's at low A ball right now. Just got promoted there. And he's flying around the bases. Fun to watch. You know, 18 years old. The guy runs like a gazelle. Great. Coming into third base, I don't know. Someone just shut the lights off. He forgot how to slide. And it looked like his cleat got caught. Uh, It could have been a really bad injury. So we're about to talk about some prospects. Jason Dominguez is on Scott's top 25 prospects for fantasy baseball. He actually ranks 13th on this list. Someone teach this guy how to slide. All right? (laughs) Because we can't have stuff like that happening. Anyway, your top 25 prospects, Scott, just mentioned it. They are now live on the site, and what I want to do is I want to focus on the players that could still make an impact for this season. So, obviously, there are a ton of great names that are going to be atop this list. Julio Rodriguez, outfielder for the Mariners, he is number one for you. He's still only 20 years old. You actually have a second-half call-up as possible. He's at A right now. It, you're right. I mean, the Mariners are playing for something. It's definitely possible, but... Probably not likely, right?
0: I mean, likely was one designation. So I had, (laughs) yeah, I had second half call up is dot, dot, dot. And I gave a word for each of the 25. And yeah, possible was one of the words I used. Likely was one of the words I used. And I didn't use that word for Julio Rodriguez. I didn't say unlikely either. That was another word I used. Mm. I said possible. I think it's possible. You know the fact he's already at double a if he if he goes on a tear here over uh, goes on a tear there over the next two, three weeks, and the Mariners stay in the race, I think it's definitely possible. I wouldn't put money on that possibility or anything like that.
1: you know what it kind of reminds me of, and it's completely unfair to make this comparison, but other people have done it uh, to this point. So I'll do the same thing. But he's kind of joined uh, drawn comps to Juan Soto. And if you remember Juan Soto, was actually called up when he was 20 years old and he was just crushing it at every level and he got called up straight from A. That's where Julio Rodriguez is right now. So that is what makes this a possibility. So keep that in mind. Again, uh, the name Julio Rodriguez there with the Seattle Mariners. But another name, number two on this list, is actually Kansas City Royals. Shortstop prospect Bobby Witt, who we've talked about a ton this year. He's batting 301 with 15 homers, 14 steals, 50% rostered. Scott, do you think that he is the next big-name prospect to stash? So, there's no more Jaron Duran, Jared Kelnick. There's, you know, obviously Wander Franco is up. Is Bobby Witt that next player?
0: Yes, I think he is. Uh, just because... You know, you consider how aggressive the Royals have been about promoting prospects over the past couple of years. They promoted Brady Singer and Chris Bubich last year, um, when I don't think really anybody saw that coming. How quickly they brought them up. Uh, we've already seen uh, Daniel Lynch and Jackson Kawar. Jackson Kowar was, you know, I don't, I don't know that that was necessarily a rush job, but. Daniel Lynch. It was surprising, a little bit surprising, how aggressively they promoted him, and they were talking about promoting Witt in spring training, giving him the second pace job. Back then, when he got off to a good start in March, uh, cooled off. Back then, started striking out more, so it made sense that they ended up uh, sending him down to Double A, and he got off to a really slow start at Double A. So the overall numbers look great, but if you just look at his past 36 games, May 30th on. Bobby Witt has hit 362 with 11 home runs and 11.53 OPS. Clearly too good for A. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't moved him up to AAA yet. But once they do, I mean, provided he doesn't hit a snag there and just given the Royals' MO, you know, even though they're not competing for anything, I, I don't think they're the kind of organization that would let that stop them from promoting Witt if Witt is demanding to be called up. So it's not a guarantee. But I I do think it's it's likely. I do think it's likely we see Bobby Witt in the second half. I do think it's likely it's before September even. And uh, if you're looking for an impact prospect to stash, I'm not saying I'd do it in like a 12 team head to head league, but a roto league of some depth. Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably be stashing Bobby Witt at this point.
1: And you answered my next question there because I, I was wondering myself with the Royals being 17 games under 500 and. 18 games out in the division, would they even mess with the possibility of bringing up Bobby Witt? But Scott still thinks that there is a possibility there. Let's ju- uh, jump down a little bit, and you have Ray's starting pitcher, Shane Boz, who was who ranked 12th, and Marlins pitcher, Edward Cabrera, who was ranked 15th on your top 25 prospects. Who would you rather stash <laughs> right now, is the question, basically, because I, I think Cabrera is probably closer, but maybe Boz has better stuff because he ranks higher on your list. So who would you rather stash?
0: Yeah, I'd rather stash Cabrera. I, a difference of three spots is not much to get hung up on in, in terms of ability. And, you know, I, I might rank Edward Cabrera higher than the consensus. Uh, but I I think his performance merits it. It's been even better this year since coming back from a biceps injury. Um, the the control has been great. He, I, I like that he has a fastball that not only has premium velocity approaching triple digits, but also has a lot of sync. So it, it's it's a bat-misser, and it gets weak contact, and there's enough of a secondary arsenal there. that We've, we've seen him get a ton of strikeouts, uh, both this year and in 2019. And I think the injury, the biceps injury, saved a lot of mileage that will now... Now he'll get to expend at the major league level, provided he doesn't hit a snag at AAA. I think the Marlins are going to need innings from him down the stretch as other pitchers burn out. And uh, Shane Boz, I mean, I, I think the Rays are going to be careful with him. And if if he does make it make it up this year, it'll be kind of just a get your feet wet situation. Maybe pitch out of the bullpen a little bit. I don't think they're going to make him a part of their rotation. I, I just think they'll want to be more careful with him than that, especially since he's been pitching all season
1: two other prospects who you have ranked in your top 25 uh, as a possibility to get called up in the second half are Red Sox shortstop Jeter Downs and Angels pitcher Reed Detmers, who I think both of them kind of have their hurdles because Downs is already at AAA, so he's at the highest level in the minors he can be, but he's struggled this season. And Detmers has massive strikeout upside. I believe it's 91 strikeouts in 50 innings pitched. And the problem is he's only at double-A. So I don't know how aggressive they want to be with moving him up, but those are two second-half possibilities from our Scott White. And uh, there are a bunch of fun names that are in the just-missed category here as well. And I think one of them, who we might see, Rangers third baseman Josh Young, and that's actually spelled J-U-N-G, Josh Young. He's already 23 years old. Hasn't done anything amazing this year in the minors, Scott, but he was the one that stood out that you know maybe he gets a call-up later in the season.
0: Yeah, I I think he was one of my top 10 prospects to stash back in spring training before he was a fractured foot, I think it was. Yep. He missed a lot of time with early in the season. So yeah, he hasn't done much yet this year, but he's only played 22 games. And um, it's a profile I really like. It's plate discipline first, uh, good bat skills. If there's a shortcoming in his offensive game, it's, it's a lack of power. But I feel like that, is a really easy skill to cultivate in the modern game. So I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather have that really solid hitting base and, and, and find power after that. than you know, the other way around, you're probably not going to, you're probably not going to start out with a ton of power, but have a bunch of hitting issues otherwise. And then, and then figure out that that's, that's less likely than, than, uh, Josh Young pulling off basically, uh, I guess Jesse Winker would be a good example of, a prospect who had really good plate discipline, really good hit tool, and then found the power later on. And I like that kind of prospect. And and there were reports out of the alternate training site last year that that Josh Young had started to drive the ball better, had started to show power the opposite field, and was emerging as a, a real power threat. Four home runs and 87 at-bats so far. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good sign. Slugging 448, okay, that not so much. But again, we're talking a small sample here. Yes. Um. Yeah, the Rangers being so far out of contention, I, don't, I, I think it's probably less likely than not that he gets called up, but it's possible. All
1: right. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to get you some sleepers for the next week or so. We'll do that next here on Fantasy Baseball Today.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. The Week
1: 16 and 17 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Leinenkugels. It's a very interesting next couple of days (laughs) and weeks because depending on where you play, if you play in a roto lineup, you're probably just setting your lineup for this weekend and then it resets on Monday. But if you play in a head-to-head league, there's a chance that you're playing just a super long 10-day week, which starts on Friday and ends next Sunday. So which one do you actually prefer, Scott?
0: I don't care that much, All to right. be honest. just just give me the rules and don't change them on me, and i'll I'll make the most of it. I know I know the consensus of the different people who've passed through this podcast over the years is that they they, they prefer the longer week to the shorter week, and yeah. Okay, I, I feel like that's I feel like it's kind of nitpicky. You know, as, as everybody's in the same boat, whatever you figure it out, you, The obstacles are thrown your way. You figure them out. You make the most of it. The default setting, I believe, even in the head-to-head leagues on CBS, is is making it two separate scoring periods: the weekend as a as a single scoring period, and then a regular Monday through Sunday week. But you know, certainly with. With commissioner privileges, if you play in a league that has those, you could change it to suit your needs. One thing I've done in the Scott White Dynasty League, because people would complain about the very short week coming out of the All Star break, was still keep it two scoring periods, but make it like two five day scoring periods. And nobody's really complained about that. Everybody seemed pretty satisfied with that. Obviously, that means setting your lineup on like a Wednesday when sure. when you're you're not used to doing that but it's just that one time during the year and i remind everybody and it hasn't been a problem since i started doing that so that's that's kind of uh if you don't want to lose that extra scoring period that's kind of the compromise i think yeah, yeah i i don't care that much
1: i like that better than a 3 day scoring period because look if you play in head to head it's just 3 days is not enough if you have an ace on your team that's not scheduled to pitch the first weekend out of the all-star break then you know you lose out on that possibility it's just there's not enough yeah, time for a it's also league. just
0: one game i mean it's one game of what 20 something could mean a so, lot scott
1: it could mean a lot it, it
0: could mean a lot but whatever i mean you're not going to go undefeated in all likelihood
1: <laughs> that's fair now if your lineups do lock on friday this is just for the weekend so for the three-day slate these are Scott's Week 16 uh, sleepers. You can find those. Those are live on the site right now. Uh, the sleeper hitters for just the weekend, Robbie Grossman, Alex Kiriloff, Andrew Benintendi, Nico Horner, and the returning J.D. Davis for the Mets. And then the sleeper pitchers are Zach Thompson at the Phillies, Patrick Sandoval versus the Mariners, Alex Cobb versus the Mariners, and Adbert Alzalai at the Diamondbacks. Now, if your lineups lock on Friday for the next 10 days, Sleeper hitters include Grossman. Again, there's going to be some natural crossover here. Uh, Nico Horner, Eric Haas, if you need a catcher, and Josh Rojas. And then the sleeper pitchers, Tarek Skubel, Zach Thompson, Brad Keller, Adbert Alzalei, and JT Brubaker. Now, let's talk about week 17, which starts on Monday. Scott, which Mm -hmm. two start pitchers are you looking at for next week?
0: And again, if you're combining this upcoming weekend with, you know, the full week beginning Monday, then then this information wouldn't really pertain to you. But uh, since it's the standard, with a new scoring period beginning on Monday, we'll break it down that way. So what did you ask me? What pitchers do I like? Two-star pitchers?
1: Two-star pitchers. If you want to throw your single-start streamers in there, you could do that as well.
0: Yeah, two-star pitchers that I like that might be available in your league for Week 17 include... Tarek Skubal and Shane McClanahan. I feel like those two are always grouped together. Young left-handers with a lot of bat-missing ability, and they both have two excellent matchups this week. Tarek Skubal going against the Rangers and Royals. McClanahan going against the Orioles, which actually are pretty good against left-handers, but still. Uh, Orioles and and Indians. Uh, Tyler McGill is also in line for two starts for the scoring period that begins Monday at Cincinnati versus Toronto. I mean, the matchups are nothing special, but I, I think he's, I, I like the bat missing ability he's shown. And if you're just looking for bulk there, I think he's a pretty good choice. Kyle Muller of the Braves also shown bat missing ability. He's technically in the minors right now, but I suspect he'll be up just the way, uh, just, just the need the Braves will have early next week. I suspect he'll be up in, in line for two starts. Again, the matchups are nothing special, but I think he's a pretty skilled pitcher, if not still a volatile one. Jamison Tyone, of course, we know how volatile he is. Again, the matchups are nothing special. So those are, you know, five five pretty good two-start options that are available enough to recommend here. More than we usually have, frankly. Not all of them have great matchups, of course, but they're they're pretty skilled on the whole. I uh, I do have some one-star pitchers I like. Brad Keller seems to have turned things around. He's corrected a, a delivery issue he was having. Staying on top of that sinker better. Slider seems to be back. He goes against the Tigers. Albert Azulay goes against the Cardinals, who do have a pretty weak lineup, actually. Uh, Jake Odorizzi against the Rangers. And, and Zach Thompson against the Padres, which doesn't sound like a very good matchup. And it's, it's middle of the road, but I, I just think Zach Thompson is uh I think he's the real deal. I think he's the real deal. I think can consider can consider him with any matchup one start or two. Not saying he's must start, but available in thirty six percent of CBS sports leagues, you could do a lot worse.
1: All right. All the pitching you can imagine there, Jameson Tyone, someone that Scott brought up, back-to-back quality starts. There has been a lot of volatility this season, but that last start out came against the Houston Astros, so nice to see uh, Tyone giving you a little bit more depth and some volume in terms of innings pitched. Some hitters, Scott, some sleeper hitters for next week that are rostered in less than 80% of CBS leagues.
0: Okay, so this this list isn't fully formed yet. I recommend visiting cbssports.com to find the full list online. I always recommend doing that, but especially this week. So uh, let me read off the best matchups. You haven't read those off yet, right? I have not. Okay, the best matchups for Week 17 are the Cubs, Rays, Tigers, Diamondbacks, and Astros. So naturally, you know, you look at the Cubs lineup, a guy like Nico Horner is going to be on the list for me. Potentially Patrick Wisdom, who I mentioned earlier. You Robbie Grossman, we mentioned him. He's he's getting on base at like over a 500 clip so far in July. Grossman is. The batting average isn't very good, but he's getting on base a lot. And Tigers have good matchups this week. I think he deserves a look. Eric Haas, again, who you mentioned earlier, uh, particularly if you need catcher help. I The Reds aren't among the team with the five best matchups, but their matchups are pretty good. They're going against the Mets, but not DeGrom, and they're going against the Cardinals, uh, who are just... Their their rotation is totally depleted right now. So Joey Votto has been somebody I've been recommending a lot lately. I think this is another week you'll want to start him. Jonathan India, if he's still available, though he's getting close to that eighty percent threshold. Let's see who else. Uh, I like Alex Kirillov. I like really all the twins. They're they're playing eight games. The matchups are are less than favorable, but eight games. They're the only team on the schedule with eight games. So. Uh, Alex Kirloff is probably my favorite from that lineup and uh, somebody I'd call a hitter for this week.
1: All right, and we will talk about Kirloff a little bit more in just a little bit. Again, those five teams with the best hitter matchups next week, the Cubs, the Rays, the Tigers, the D-backs, and the Astros, the five teams with the worst hitter matchups for Week 17, the Brewers, the Royals, the Rockies, the White Sox, and the Red Sox. So there you have it, our Week 16 and 17 pitcher and hitter planners presented by Kugels. And it's a little late for me to try and get into summer shape, but I do have a vacation coming up, family vacation, first week of August. I'm going to be out, you know, spoiler alert. Scott's going to be here with somebody, who knows. So lately, when I'm uh, looking for a beverage, try and get in shape a little bit, I do go to the Kugel's Session Helles, which tastes great and is only 99 calories. It has all the flavor of a crisp German-style beer. And if you haven't tried it yet, the Line and Kugels Summer Shandy. What are you waiting for? It's their traditional vice beer with refreshing lemonade that makes it the perfect summer beverage. And if you're into IPAs, Line and Kugels has their Lemon Haze IPA, a well-balanced hazy IPA that blends hops with delicious lemonade. So no matter what type of beverage you're craving, Line and Kugels has you covered. Just head on over to Liney.com. That's L-E-I-N-I-E.com or follow Line and Kugels on Instagram or Facebook for more information about all of the delicious beers that they brew. The second half breakout-o-meter. I've made a lot of meters this year, I realize, Scott. I don't know if Adam used to
0: do this as frequently. Did he? Oh, he did it a lot. Oh, he did? All right. Yeah. So I'm happy to, to carry the tradition. I wish you'd carry the Jock Peterson tradition. I was thinking that when we were talking about him earlier. Yeah. I don't know if you can do...
1: The way that he would say names, they do still mm-hmm. ring in my head. He would go, Jock Peterson. But
0: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. From from you know that you know what that's from, right?
1: That's from uh, King of the Hill?
0: No, no, oh. it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, what am um, I thinking?
1: He has another Sloan's one.
0: Sloan's dad's name was George, so he was George Peterson, and that mm-hmm. was Alan Ruck, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, impersonating what he thought Sloan's dad would sound like <laughs> when he was on the phone. This is George Peterson. It was Jack Peterson. Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, Scott, I've never seen the movie. Oh, God. Uh, oh my uh, God. Scott man. is so mad at me. That, oh that's the thing gosh. is, look, I, well, I just got the reference wrong, so I guess that shouldn't surprise anybody, right? But I haven't seen it. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> you got to correct this, Frank.
1: I do. All right. So I'll watch that and you watch. What's the most recent one I gave you? Grandma's Boy, I think it was. It doesn't seem like a fair trade.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, uh, I um I um yeah I I don't know I I don't know I don't I, I honestly couldn't tell you what my number one favorite comedy is, but Ferris Bueller would be in the discussion for sure. Mm. It is, it is fantastic. I've I've heard about it
1: my entire life. It's like if you've never heard the name of the movie, you you legitimately live under a rock, which sometimes I do. <laughs> but yeah, I just. I don't know why. I just, I've never had the opportunity. I haven't watched it. So I do have to remedy that situation. Let's do this. The second half breakout-o-meter. 10, you are the most confident in this player breaking out in the second half. One, nah, not going to happen. Chris Sale, mentioned his name earlier, working his way back from Tommy John surgery. We've had concerns for a long time. The frame, the delivery. Last time we saw him in 2019, felt like something was up with Chris Sale. Obviously, we know what that turned into. However... Back in 2018, he was a top 10 starting pitcher in Roto, and he was amazing that season. So nobody expects him to get back to that level. But even if Chris Sale is 75% of the ace that he used to be, that's probably a top 30 to 40 starting pitcher, Scott. So what do you think? Sale on the breakout-o-meter.
0: I mean, I, I think that might be underselling him. I I would be disappointed if that's all the outcome was. I think... You know, I, obviously, there's going to be a durability question. There's going to be a, 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 how how many innings is he going to be allowed to throw per start once he makes it back. But you're talking about a guy that year after year after year was like a top five pitcher. I mean, he was. It, it was Kershaw. It was Sale. It was it was Scherzer. Right, that trio. Yep that that trio uh, was was was. You know, and, and and now we think of the trio as Degrom, Cole, and and, and Bieber, but that the old trio was Kershaw, Sale, and Scherzer. Twenty eighteen was his best season in terms of percentages, yes, but from time he broke into the league, twenty ten through twenty eighteen, he had a two eighty nine ERA, a one oh three WHIP, ten point nine K per nine. Um, a guy who, if he can, I mean, he's he's not that old. He's thirty. He's thirty two. 32 he he could he could bounce back and be an ace i, I don't know I, I don't know that you should expect that this season but next season i think that's very much on the table and so this season you know an an ace who probably maxes out at six innings is i i think the mm. the optimistic scenario for sale coming back from tommy john surgery so what would you give him 1 to 10 how likely is it the breakout
1: 8 Eight for Chris Sale. All right. Sounds like you are a little bit more optimistic than I am on Sale, but it's just because we've had concerns over him for so long. I, I have no idea what he's going to look like when he comes back, but if he is anywhere close to what he used to be, then yes, I probably am underselling Chris Sale. Andrew Vaughn was batting 351 with definitely not 10 home runs, so I don't know why I wrote that. I'm pretty sure it's three home runs. He was batting three fifty-one with three home runs in July, and how about this? a 26.5% line drive rate, and 91.8 mile per hour average exit velocity for Andrew Vaughn since June 1st. So he's been hitting the ball hard. He's been hitting line drives. Still 68% rostered. Scott, the breakout-o-meter for the second half for Andrew Vaughn.
0: Yeah, I really like what we've seen from him lately, as you outlined just now. I'll go, hmm, I'm not sure if I'm calibrated this. I'm going to change sale to nine, all right? from an eight to a nine so that I can give Andrew Vaughn a seven and feel okay about it. I think there needs, I think there needs to be a two point separation on the meter there, but I don't want to go as low as, as six for Vaughn. So I'll say seven.
1: All right. Wow. I think nine is the highest we've ever that I've heard. Well, no, there had to be someone on the dropometer meter that was a 10 at some point,
0: but all right. I, I mean, if, if sale doesn't have a Noah Cinder garden and, and suffer a setback, <laughs> or any number of other players who have been on the IL and, and didn't make it all the way back this year. If that doesn't happen, I, I I, I would be very surprised if Sale wasn't a major asset down the stretch.
1: Nice. All right, so a 9 for Sale and a 7 for Andrew Vaughn. How about Alex Kirilov, who we've talked about a ton this season with the great expected stats according to StatCast, and he's off to a nice, uh, nice July as well. 289 batting average, two home runs, and... It's only been 10 games, but a 45% fly ball rate, which is the highest of any month this season for Alex Kirloff. 70% rostered. It's got 1-10 breakout-o-meter in the second half for Kirloff.
0: Yeah, we love those expected stats from Kirloff. I'm surprised we haven't seen better results from him yet, considering. I feel a little less confident than I do for Vaughn, actually. I'll go six point five. I don't want to go as low as six. I'll go six point five. All right. So maybe all of these are skewed too high. Now that I think about it, because <laughs> am, I, am I saying he has a sixty-five percent chance of breaking out? Is that what I'm saying? Is that how people are imagining this? Because it's probably more likely than not that they don't break out, except for maybe sale. Maybe I should. Maybe I should bump them all back two points. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know
1: either I probably should I'm the host of the show right but that sounds right I I think the way that you're going about this makes sense and based on the number for Andrew Vaughn being a little bit higher than Kirilov I was going to ask you which one you'd rather have but it sounds like Andrew Vaughn right yeah all right next one up here we have Jeff McNeil who is typically a slow starter he hit all four of his home runs with a 998 OPS in just September last season which was a two month season, and then back in twenty nineteen, McNeil hit twenty one of his twenty three home runs from June first on. So still kind of working his way back from this in, uh, this injury that he had, and you know maybe a couple more weeks get his legs underneath him. But someone that typically excels in in the second half there, Jeff McNeil, uh, breakout meter
0: here, Scott for the second half. I'll go five five i'm 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 losing confidence in jeff mcneil here i'm thinking i'm starting to believe he's he's more david fletcher than not and he's been a worse f- version of david fletcher this year
1: there's back. definitely there's definitely a possibility he was helped out by the juice ball back in 2019 too because he hit 23 home runs that season and if you look at his minor league production he was more of just a high batting average guy so
0: well, the power did come on late in his minor league career, which is something I've pointed out in the past. So, 2018, um, he hit 19 home runs in 88 games in the minors, which, you know, Las Vegas is, is, was the Mets' triple A affiliate at the time. But 14 of those 19 home runs actually came at double A. So, that last minor league season, which was 2018, it, the, the juice ball wasn't introduced in the minors till 2019. I don't think it was introduced at triple A then. I mean he just had an awesome year in 2018 with those home runs but it was really the first glimpse of power we've seen from Jeff McNeil until 2019 in the majors when he hit those 23 home runs. But yeah, I I you know last year he hit 4 home runs in 183 at bats and this year it's gone even worse. Starting to lose confidence.
1: Let's move on to some starting pitchers. Rank these four starting pitchers Scott in terms of their breakout ability. For the second half, they were all on this list. By the way, there's an article on the site, should I mention that, from Chris. Chris put together this list of potential second-half breakouts, and he included these four starting pitchers, Eduardo Rodriguez, Shane McClanahan, Tarek Skubal, Tony Gonsolin. How would you rank that quartet, Scott, in terms of their breakout ability?
0: I don't know. Is this going to come across in, in terms of how much I want them in fantasy? Like, What, what am I ranking exactly?
1: Uh, let's go with, I guess, highest upside. Highest upside for the second half. Erod, McClanahan, Skubal, Gonsolin.
0: I'll go Gonsolin first, then McClanahan, Skubal, and Rodriguez. I think there are definite limits to Rodriguez's upside, but uh, I, I I think he's he's going to be better than he was in the first half. The reason I rank Gonsolin first of that group is I I I kind of think we've seen... The best of McClanahan and Scubel so far this year, just because you know they're both so young, just breaking into the majors. Their their, their workload is going to have to they're 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 going they're going to have to be restrictions on their workload in the second half. And Gonzalez going to be able to be freer than ever. I think you know, he's, it's been kind of a slow buildup for him, but we I I think he's he's reaching the point of of finally being built up. And uh, I think I think the Dodgers will lean on him pretty heavily down the stretch. They need pitching help. They need pitching depth. So that's why I go Gonsolin over those two left-handed strikeout artists. McClanahan. I mean, I, I could I could see going Rodriguez too, just because of the workload concerns for McClanahan at Scoobal. But I, I just Rodriguez doesn't have the same upside. A few honorable
1: mentions from the article: Anthony Rendon, just stay healthy, please get healthy and Brendan Rodgers, who we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast as well. To stream or not to stream, because we know if there's anything Scott wants to do coming out of the All-Star break, it's stream crappy pitchers, something that he's <laughs> loved to do all season long. So let's yeah. start with Friday. Chris Flexen at the Angels, Andrew Heaney versus the Mariners, Matt Moore versus the Marlins, Michael Waka at the Braves, Eli Morgan at the A's, and Jordan Lyles at the Blue Jays. I will point out, I used ESPN this time because there were more pitchers available, but some teams have not announced their rotations yet and who's starting, so it's it's kind of limited.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun picking out sleeper pitchers and hitters. Yeah, <laughs> considering, uh, I think of the names you listed off here, Heaney against the Mariners would be my favorite. You know, he's he's occasionally good for a double digit strikeout effort, and against the Mariners, I mean, he might know he might throw a no hitter. But he might give up four home runs as well, so it's it's still very risky. Chris Flexen, I guess, would be my second favorite, but only because he's, because he's been on kind of a heater. I don't think he's that good and vulnerable against the Angels, for sure. Yeah,
1: I think Heaney's probably the only one that I want to mess with here. Flexen has been okay, but he's money at home on the road, not as much. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's any reason for that, but... That's what the splits say. For Saturday, Alex Cobb versus the Mariners, Willie Peralta, not Wiley, versus the Minnesota Twins, (laughs) Vince Velasquez versus the Marlins, Adbert Alzali at the Diamondbacks, Cal Quantrill at the A's, and Colby Allard at the Blue Jays.
0: Adbert Alzali is my top choice here against the worst team in baseball. He's pretty hit or miss. He's worse than I hoped he would be. Hasn't been missing as many bats as I hoped he would, but, you know... He'll he'll deliver a good start more often than not. And Alex Cobb, yeah, we give Chris a hard time, but the underlying numbers are very good. And three of his past four starts have been solid. Mariners, of course, he might throw a no hitter, so keep that in mind.
1: <laughs> you just queued at least one YouTube commenter or emailer, Scott. So I will just
0: point that's that what out. I that's what I live for.
1: That's true. That's what, that's what all of us live for at this point in time. Um, I will just point out with Velasquez, I don't think that he's very good, but he has owned the Marlins this year. Last time, seven shutout with seven strikeouts, and the time before that, six shutout with five strikeouts. So maybe they're due for a good game against him, but he's pitched well against them. For Sunday, Zach Davies at the Diamondbacks, Patrick Sandoval versus the Mariners, Johnny Cueto at the Cardinals, Drew Smiley versus the Rays, Mike Fultonevich at the Blue Jays, and Steven Matz
0: versus the A's. Patrick Sandoval,
1: yeah, I think the list kind of ends there.
0: <laughs> he, is, he is going against the Mariners.
1: Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> you thought about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we know we know how that could go for Patrick Sandoval against the Mariners. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. This is, you know, I'm not a Drew Smiley believer. That and, is, uh, uh, I, I don't know, Johnny Johnny Cueto at St. Louis, if you're desperate. I, I think that could go okay for him, but he's just as likely to get blown out.
1: All right, let's wrap up the week, like we always do, with some fantasy justice. Yeah, yeah. This one's from Kyle. I am the commissioner of a league that is in the first year of a three-year keeper league, 14-team roto. Salary cap, the last place team is dead in the water with 38 points, and he traded me Carlos Rodon, who cannot be kept, Cedric Mullins, who also cannot be kept, and a $14 Brad Hand. I traded him Byron Buxton, who has two and a half years left at $9, and Zach Gallen, who has two and a half years left at $16. The league absolutely lost their minds, saying I completely swindled him, but in a 2022 context, he just traded Brad Hand for Byron Buxton and Zach Gallen. I think part of the league was mad that it wasn't them. Part of the league was mad it was me, but they were all arguing (laughs) against Buxton being an asset at $9. What are your thoughts on the trade?
0: More Uh, unnecessary.
1: There's a a few more context items here. Waiver wire ads cannot be kept. Max 12 keepers. Uh, It's actually half roto, half head-to-head, which is, okay, interesting. We split the pod 50-50 between the two formats. That's interesting. Uh, Contract extensions are $5 after year two. I don't know how half Roto
0: half had to head works, but yeah, me neither. <laughs> uh, whatever. Um I, I I think this trade makes perfect sense for the guys who who's in last place. Prepare for next year. I mean, those are two great assets for next year, and and the the ones he traded away are worthless to him. I I understand why the league is upset. A good team just got better without really hurting himself for this year, but if, if you're going to set your league up this way, this is kind of the downside to keeper leagues. When you're only keeping a few players, um, these are the kinds of trades that are going to have ha, are going to happen, and you have to know that going in. If you can't accept that, then I I don't know that a keeper league's for you. I I, I don't know that it is. Um, or or you need to set it up in a way that it that it hurts more for the the contending team to to give up future assets by maybe making it a lot more keepers um, or 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 something you you could you could tweak the rules somehow to make it hurt more for for you in this instance the contending team to give up future assets like that but you can't blame the guy in last place for doing this i mean
1: yeah you can good I, for
0: him i mean he greatly improved his chances for next year
1: you can't blame anybody uh, for this trade, even the person who is acquiring these players, because it, it just this happens all the time. It sounds like everyone else in the league is just kind of jealous that they didn't get to the the last place team first and and offer something like this. So, I mean, it's happened before where I see trades happen in my league, and I'm like, really, that's all it took to get that player. I kind of wish that I jumped in sooner, but I didn't. I didn't mm-hmm. know that player was available. So, I mean, that's yep. that's just part of the game when it comes to fantasy and. For the for Byron Buxton, the question there uh, is he going to be n- more than nine dollars next year? No doubt, even with the injuries this season, based on what we've seen, even if he doesn't play another game this year, I think he's probably in a fourteen team Roto high teens at probably a twenty dollar player, maybe even more than that. So,
0: yeah, <laughs> in a way, not playing another game this year would uh, would help lock in that value more because there's true. There's nowhere he could go but down in terms of statistics. Zach Gallon, you know, I kind of wonder about him if he's if he comes back from this latest IL stint and, and just keeps getting knocked around, then you know I, I could see how this guy might not end up keeping him for sixteen dollars. But if if Zach Gallon comes back and does Zach Gallon things, then obviously he will.
1: Yeah, I mean it's almost worth it just for bucks in and itself. But if Gallon, you know, comes anywhere close to the third or fourth round pitcher that we had him out to be coming into the season, then, yeah, it's going to be a great trade for who was in last place. As of now, I think it's a fine trade. So, there. Take that, Kyle's league mates. You guys have been served, and so has Justice. Yeah, yeah. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We will be back again on Monday with baseball to talk about. Bye bye.